Amen. So, yeah, I'm doing it already, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, so Psalm 85. Uh, we uh, left off in Psalm 84, so we're picking up in 85. And uh, so natural, and, uh, the goal, um, Lord willing, would be to get through Psalm 86. Um, I get very, I'll tell you, I get very um, ambitious when I start reading through these. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, we can knock out four. And then I'll start, you know, just typing down some notes as I'm reading through and everything. And I realize I've got like four notes on, on four pages of notes on one psalm. And I can tell you, I've, I've learned over the past year plus that about seven pages of notes, maybe eight is an hour. Um, so if I'm doing three or four on one psalm, we're not getting through it. So um, that's just essentially where we're at. So, um, but, you know, where, where we're picking up here, uh, the goal is to get through two psalms today. So we'll see. And uh, if we only get through one, we only get through one. Uh, we'll pick up next week. So uh, I will say... Um, I mentioned it this morning, and I am in prayer regarding when to show this. Um, there's a, a lot going on uh, in this world right now regarding Israel, Hamas, um, uh, and you know uh, this the the whole mess that's going on over in Israel right now. And uh, Gary Hamrick uh, did a an awesome video. It's actually a three part video. We're just going to watch the first one, and I'll just encourage you guys to watch the second and third. On your own, but he really breaks it down into very basic and simple, which is perfect for me. Um, a way to understand what is going on uh, and where it started, and uh, potentially where it's going on. And he he gets into Ezekiel 38 and talks about how that might apply. Uh, remember when Will came and visited us, he talked to us about like right now it doesn't exactly seem like that's applying yet, uh, but all it takes is this this to happen, this to happen, and this to happen, and we're right in the middle of it. So it's there's 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 quite a bit here uh, to look at. So I'm just praying about. Um, I, I think it's going to be Wednesday night, but I don't want to announce that yet. I'll probably put it on Facebook uh, and let you guys know, or shoot out a message and say, hey, if you guys really want to get into this, because I think we we have a little bit bigger uh, crowd on Wednesday, and uh, the more people, the better to to see this. Um, and uh, so we'll go over that. But it's more of a study versus um, you know uh, Sunday we'll be picking up in Romans, unless God just speaks to me and I like, Hey, we're going to look at that Sunday. Uh, but just be, uh, and, and if you want to look it up, go right ahead. Or if you want the link, I can send it to you. Uh, it's a tremendous blessing. And a friend of mine who's over in, um, uh, Arizona sent it to me and, and I'm like, they're like, Hey, you got to listen to this guy. Look, I'm like, Oh, that's Gary Hammer. Yes. Yes. You got to listen to him. Cause, uh, you know, they, uh, they go to a different, uh, different church and, uh, um, uh, so when I saw, it, I was like, "Oh, I know. You know I've, I've actually been to pastors' conferences, and he's been speaking. So um, a great, a great pastor, great teacher, and uh, he breaks it down perfectly. So we're going to look into that. I think it's going to be Wednesday, but don't spread that yet. Um, but I'm just telling you, you guys are here. You hear it first. Just will act like Facebook isn't going right now. And uh, but I think that's when it's going to be. Or you can look it up on YouTube. I'm sure it's there. So uh, really, really good. Um, so Psalm 85 is where we're picking up, and uh, this is a, a prayer that the Lord will restore favor to the land is uh, the, the um, title for this psalm in, in my Bible. So I, I like to copy that over, um, as you guys know, so I like to kind of, it, it sets the tone a little bit for what we're looking at. And uh, there's a good portion of scholars that believe that this comes, this was written after the return from captivity in Babylon. Uh, whether that's 
uh, you know, people want to debate that, whatever. We're going to look at it in those contexts tonight. Um, and, uh, and just consider because it really does, you know, where it says you have brought back the captivity of, of Jacob, uh, they're coming back from somewhere, something's going on, you know? So, uh, when we're looking at this, uh, we're going to go under that assumption. If somebody else wants to argue that they can do that. Um, but we're going to look at it there because the guys, uh, that I have, um, looked at and I trust, uh, you know, for commentaries and, those things that taught the Bible for 30, 40, 50 years, uh, they were all in the same uh, same uh, mindset. So uh, when we read this, uh, we'll just uh, look at it and see uh, what the Lord has for us here. So verse 1 says, To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin." You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. So uh, we'll stop there in verse 3. But uh, consider these verses that we just read and, and what was just said here uh, from the sons of Korah, what's going on in their hearts and what they're pouring out uh, as they're writing this. He says It says that you, God has been faithful, that he's brought them back. He has forgiven. Uh, he has covered all their sin. He has taken away his wrath. Uh, and you have turned from the fierceness of their anger. Uh, that's quite a bit to meditate on uh, in and of itself. Uh, when we consider uh, the sin that we've committed and how the Lord has dealt with that sin. But if we're looking at, at it in context, they're talking about their sin as, as a nation. Uh, and uh, there, were, there was a lot uh, that was going on with them. And they, they faced many warnings um, and uh, the fact that they would mock the uh, the prophets when the prophets would come, and, and we talked about that even this uh, this morning, um, where uh, Stephen in Acts chapter seven, the reflection of Stephen uh, and how he was rebuking the religious leaders. He's like, "You're stiff-necked and hard-hearted. You've always you always resist the Holy Spirit." And then he goes on to say that that they would murder. Uh, the prophets, and they would they would persecute the prophets, and uh, you know when they'd come with a message from God that they didn't like, uh, then Israel would uh, would you know respond with violence. Uh, you know you consider some of the stuff like Jeremiah, uh, you know Jeremiah being put in stocks and uh, and and just vowing, I'm not going to speak the word of the Lord anymore, and God gently just uh, just ministering to him and saying, Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> you know, I've got a, I've got a job for you, and it's important for you to do this. But his, his, he was he was just so downcast in his soul, and he he was one that that actually received that persecution for doing what he was told to do by God. Um, no doubt uh, that we know that that Jeremiah would be blessed um, uh, in this life and in the next. And he may not have seen uh, the the uh, those uh, great blessings in this life. He may not have recognized them. Uh, but just to know, and there isn't what, what's uh, what's interesting about the the book of Jeremiah is there isn't a recorded convert uh, from Jeremiah's preaching. So it, it's it's you know when you look at everything that he went through, and they call him the weeping prophet, a prophet. You know, he, there was so much that was so heavy on his heart that as he's teaching, um, you know, there were times where Jeremiah just said, "Hey, you know what? This isn't like I, I'm done. I'm done, Lord." And the Lord's like, "Nope, we're, we let's keep going here." But when we consider uh, everything that's being said here, how powerful this is that, that God had been faithful to the land and he had brought them back from captivity. And, uh, you know, the Lord was very favorable to Israel. Uh, he provided for them. He protected them. 
Um, but if we, if you look back on Israel's history, and we've studied through it, and we're we're working our way through, um, I, I think I can't even remember where we're. At. I think we're in Exodus uh, 26 um, uh, this this coming week. I got to remember. I should know that. I get it, but my brain gets boggled with three different studies uh, sometimes. So if I'm off by one or two, please forgive me. But um, when we see that, uh, when we get to a point where Israel starts demanding a king. Like God, God leading us and everything, that's not enough for us. We want a king like everybody else. There's, there's a rejection of the Lord, even though they've experienced his favor, his deliverance. Uh, I mean, consider what they were going through in Egypt. You know, when they're 400 plus years there uh, as slaves and how bad it was getting. And they're crying out to the Lord and God hears them and he pours out those plagues on Egypt. And, uh, and he shows himself strong against all of their false gods. And, uh, and then he delivers them. He opens the Red Sea and, and drowns all of Egypt's army as they're following them. As they, they see all these things, but they're so eat, right? And we get to the other end. And, uh, and as soon as uh, they get to the other side, they're like, yeah, Moses must not have been enough room to kill us there. We must be dying here in the wilderness, right? The, the faithfulness to the Lord uh, uh, was, was very, uh, very uh, flimsy on their, their part. And God's just continuing to show his faithfulness to Israel. And, uh, you know, obviously that's a picture for us. We can look back and go, oh, yeah, that's been me before. I've griped in my life and gone, yeah, what about this, Lord? What about this? And we forget so easily how faithful and how, um, how uh, you know, well, really how faithful he's been to us and how gracious and merciful he's been to us in our lives. But he's been so favorable, and uh, we are so quick to forget how favorable he is. Um and they became unfaithful uh, to the Lord, and uh, the Lord uh, used the Babylonian kingdom uh, to correct them. And uh, they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. That's a long time to be away uh, and to be in a whole different um, uh, culture and have to learn a whole different way of living and uh, even vocabulary uh, and languages and all these things. And, and the things that they were subjected to, I mean, just go into Daniel and start reading in Daniel and you'll see a little bit of what they were subjected to. Uh, you know, just say, hey, when this music plays, you're going to bow. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they had everything uh, working against them and uh, in the land there, but uh, they, they had to trust that the Lord was going to bring them back. And this is what they're saying here, uh, the sons of Korah. And, and uh, so here we are still in verse 1 of our first ver, uh, first psalm. So you can see why I said, you know, maybe we'll get through the second. But um, uh, w when it says, you have brought back the captivity of Jacob, he's brought them back. You know, the Lord had promised to bring them back. Uh, so we're going to look at a few verses here uh, and a few different scripture references uh, regarding them being taken away and being brought back. Ezra uh, chapter 1 verse 11 and then the next verse skips into chapter 2 verse 1. So it should come up here. It says, all the articles of gold and silver were 5,500. Uh, all these Shesh Bazar, Bazar uh, took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Verse 1 of uh Chapter 2 of Ezra says, Now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity. 
of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. And then it goes on to list uh, names and those things. But we see here that they were taken away and that the Lord uh, had brought them back. Jeremiah 30, verse 18 says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its, mount, its own mound and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Jeremiah 31, 23 says, Thus says the Lord uh, of hosts, the God of Israel, they shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and its cities when I bring them back, uh, bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. Ezekiel thirty nine twenty five says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will uh, be jealous for uh, my holy name. So when we consider the Lord bringing them back, he promised he'd bring them back. He said that they were going to go away, and he promised that he would bring them back, and he did. <clears throat> now, there, uh, if you look at verse 2, it says, You have forgiven the iniquity of the people. You have covered all their sin." Uh, considering their iniquity, not only uh, the land, but the relationship uh, with God was being restored. Um, because they're, they're, when, when they came in, they just destroyed everything. You know, they, they, took, they took out the temple, they, they robbed the temple, they took everything. So there's a restoration that's happening from the Lord um, for uh, their own land, but also, more importantly, their own personal relationships with the Lord. Because the, the nation, they had to have their own personal relationship, and that's going to spread through the nation. Will has, has shared with us the Welsh Revival, um, where, uh, you know, considering the Welsh Revival started uh, with uh, what we would consider a youth group, you know, a bunch of young kids praying uh, for their nation, the revival of their nation, and for that to keep spreading. And it spread so much that crime wasn't even being uh, committed. And uh, so much so that when you consider... Uh, the, the police stations were then uh, to form quartets. They, they go around singing hymns. And, uh, you know, think of what God can do uh, just through uh, some, some teenagers being uh, serious about their relationship with the Lord and uh, God blessing uh, and using them uh, to, to, to spark a nationwide revival. That's, that's quite a thing uh, that that was started just from people praying and consider the restoration available uh, from the Lord. Now, this iniquity that's being uh, forgiven, consider uh, 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 through 21. If you want to turn there, we're going to read um, uh, seven verses here, uh, and uh, or it's just going to come up on, on the screen. So uh, I just don't know if you'll be able to, wow, um, <laughs> might not be able to read. You're, he's going to split it here, so... Uh, I will uh, we'll, we'll wait here just a minute, uh, and he's going he's gonna to make that a little bit easier uh, to read and uh, so that when we are uh, going through, we can, um, we can catch up here. So Second Chronicles, though, there's a warning um, from the Lord being spoken of. So as we're looking at this, it's, it's the warning from God uh, to the nation of Israel. 
So it's pretty powerful uh, stuff here as we're uh, getting into it. He's about to hit enter here uh, in just a moment. But I'm going to start reading, and, and uh, if you've got your Bible, you can read along. But just on the top things there, it's Second Chronicles 36, verses 15 uh, through 21. <clears throat> and the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them uh, by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people. And on his dwelling place. Verse 16 is key though. But they mocked the messengers of God. Despised his words and scoffed at his prophets. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people. Till there was no remedy. Verse 17. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans. Who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. And had no compassion on the young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand, and all the articles of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of God, and the treasures of the king and of his leaders. All these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until, they, until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enough uh, her uh, had enjoyed her Sabbaths as long as she lay desolate. She kept a Sabbath, uh, kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So Israel was uh, to the point where they were rejecting God's word so much so that they weren't even even going through the Sabbath years that they were supposed to. And the Lord said, all right, you're not going to listen. Then I'm going to send you away for 70 years and we're going to give the land the rest that it needs. Uh, that's that's uh, when you think of the the level of rejection of God's word that they wouldn't even let the, the, the land rest. Uh, and that they and themselves thought that they knew better. But we saw the blessings of the Lord. The Lord, as as we obey his word, the blessings come, even though it may, may not make sense, right? To not harvest for a year, uh, you'd think, oh, man, well, what are we going to eat? God would bless them, and they would have more. They, so they would take more, and they would store it away, and they were never without. But they still didn't trust the Lord. They didn't obey his word. Uh, and uh, so in rejection, the Lord said, if you're not going to listen to my word, then I'm going to send you away into captivity for 70 years. And that's that's pretty harsh. You know, when you consider not not that the Lord was unrighteous in it, but think of what they brought upon themselves that they didn't need to. All they had to do was heed the word and repent, turn away from the sin and follow the Lord. <clears throat> but sometimes it's not that easy for us. right? It's easy. Like we can see it in, written down. Uh, but when we consider uh, the, the complexity of, uh, you know, trying to uh, obey our flesh and obey the word, it's never going to happen. There's, uh, those, those two things are always going to come uh, uh, in, uh, in butt heads. That's just how it is. We have sinful flesh that likes to reign versus submitting to the Lord and, and his will. And it says that they had, he had covered all their sin. Uh, it says that he had taken away, uh, you've taken away your wrath and fierceness. 
of your uh, of your anger. So I know we're still in verse three. Just uh, bear with me. We'll make it. I promise. Uh, through the verse, unless the Lord takes us, right? Isaiah 40, uh, verse 1, uh, verses 1 and 2 says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know, when you've taken away the wrath and the fierceness and that the sins um, ha have been covered, and then we see the comfort that's being spoken of uh, and that the iniquity had been pardoned. Uh, yeah, they paid a heavy price, but God speaking and, and telling them uh, that, that these things were, uh, that was the, the current state for them now. So uh, now realize this is the God of the Old Testament. Where, where uh, we may be out talking to a neighbor, friend, family member, or whatever, and they'll be like, well, God was different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the scriptures say. He doesn't change. There's no variation or shadow of turning in the Lord. That's what the scripture says. So for us to sit there and go, oh, well, he was a different God then, uh, that, that is not the case. He's the same God. Um, it's, and we see the mercy. We see the grace that the Lord poured out upon his, his people and that the long suffering, you know, that he was so patient with them. And he's saying, you need to turn, you need to turn, you need to turn. Okay. You're not going to turn. Then you're going to deal with the consequences of your actions. And they did. But, uh, but wow, just to say, you know, when we consider how gracious, loving, merciful, uh, he is that he would cover all their sin. That he take away his wrath and the fierceness of his anger. Um, because who are they hurting? They're hurting themselves and they're misrepresenting God. When, they're, when their name is literally Israel, given, given, uh, excuse me, governed by God, when that is their name uh, and they're misrepresenting him uh, to the world and they're acting just like their pagan neighbors are and they've got all kinds of junk in their lives, they're misrepresenting him. And when the prophets are telling them, hey, what are you doing with your lives? You need to repent, turn back to God. And they're not willing, then God uh, you know, puts them through this. You know, he's willing to give favor, to bring back, uh, to forgive and to cover sins. So much so that he gave the ultimate expression of that in Jesus Christ. You know, when, when the scriptures tell us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, that's, that's a lot to ponder. Just, just to think that, especially um, Sunday night crowds, a little, a little different. Sunday morning crowd may have more people here that, are, uh, that don't have a relationship with the Lord, aren't walking with him. Uh, and, and for them to hear, wait a minute. So I don't have to go and, and I don't have to go and get this right in my life, get this right in my life. And then when I'm perfect, then I can come to God because we talked about this before. We're never going to be able to come to God because we're sinners, right? We can't. And uh, we're never going to be able to say, okay, God, now I can stand in my own righteousness. You know, I, I go back to, and I, I, I know I've referenced this several times and I guarantee you I'll, I'll, I'll reference it several more times. But when the Lord was in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. The only way for us to be saved was through the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for us. The perfect one, God in the flesh, dying for us. That, that the God-man came and died for us. That was the way. that He made the way of salvation. So when we consider him uh, showing us favor, bringing us back, uh, forgiving us, and covering our sins... He gave us the ultimate expression of that. That we don't we don't have to wonder, like, what does that look like? Look at Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. And and what he's done is redemptive work. 
Verse 4, restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. This prayer is asking for restoration, asking for mercy, asking for salvation. That's where we find restoration is going to the Lord directly and saying, God, I'm a mess. <laughs> like you guys ever watch shows getting restored? Uh, sorry, house shows of houses getting restored. Shows getting restored. Shows of houses getting restored, right? The, the renovation project. You ever watch them in demo process, right? You watch them and they got sledgehammers and they got baseball bats or whatever they want to bring in. And they're wrecking all the old stuff. And then in comes the new stuff. And everything is, uh, th there's the restoration, right? And there, there's the, uh, all of the, the years of stress that was, uh, that was brought on. Uh, these house, some of them are even sinking in. And they're jacking up floors and ceilings or however else that works. He's a, he's a, uh, a builder and, a, and an engineer. How, however, Alan would understand it better than I am. But they're using jacks. And like, I'd look at Alice and go, no, that thing's done. And they're able to say, it's not done. And or they'll pick up a house and move it, which blows my mind even more. You know, when you consider all the things that can be done, you know, we may look at our lives or, or the lives of others and go, there's no restoration. There's no hope. It's so different with the Lord. Consider what Israel was in. You know, consider, you know, everybody looking at, and, you know, the neighboring, uh, you know, countries going, yeah, there's no restoration there. They're done. You know, look at look at their temple. Look at everything. It's 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 done for. There's there's no hope for it or anything. They're asking, restore us. That is that's awesome. We just uh, sang this morning, restore my soul, written by uh, Sherry Youngwood. Wonderful song. The restoration that we seek in the Lord, and God is so faithful to bring to us. They're praying for restoration for that nation, but it has to, like I said before, has to happen in individual lives too, right? And it needs to spread from there. Right. It's not just like there's a magic wand and God's like, you're restored. You know, he, he does that as we turn to him and, and we go to him and say, Lord, wait, I want restoration. Would you please change me? And then it happens and it starts happening all around. And uh, it's it's a wonderful thing. Psalm 51 verse 17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a, a broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. When you look at what's being said here in verses four through seven, that's a broken and contrite spirit. That's a heart that's saying, would you please restore us? Help us. And, and the, to the Lord that is precious to him, and he won't despise it. Verse 8, I will hear what God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Um, we talked about it a little bit this morning. Uh, but uh, listening and hearing, it says, I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace, and it goes on from there. But the declaration, I will hear it. Uh, there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? Uh, we can listen to something, but are we really hearing what's being said? As a parent of three daughters, um, I can say that I've looked at my kids and say, are you not hearing me? What I'll tell you has happened now. It's reversed because, I, you know, I, I'm... I tell them, I'm like, girls, unless you say dad and get my attention and say, dad, I want to tell you about this. I'm a squirrel, you know, and they're talking to me and I'm going and, and they're telling me, don't, doesn't this happen? It happens. And the girls will be like, 
Dad, did you listen to anything I had to say? And I'll just look at them and go, you know, girls, right? They know the thing. I, I may be listening. I may be hearing the fact that they're speaking. Sometimes I'm even, not even like subconsciously re- realizing that they're speaking, right? Because I can be off in my own world. And we've uh, heard this, and there, there are some pretty good teachings about guys. You know, we operate in one box, Right. And this is how we, I remember being at a, a pastor's conference in Orrington. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it's like uh, for us, we like we pull out the one box and this is what we do. Ladies, you guys have you're just so blessed. Right. You can be doing thinking about this, this, this and this. And you can you know, I, I've got this going on, this going on. And for us, it's like the one thing that's in this one box. And when I'm done with this one box, I put that together and I go, oh, and now I got to get this other box and look at this. That's how I operate. So I have to explain that to the girls and everything. But where it says I will hear what the Lord will speak. Listening and hearing are often uh, two different things. They should be one, uh, but when you consider Matthew 13, verse 9, Jesus Christ uh, ending the parable of the sower, he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Um, That was our youth group um, saying, we had that on the back of our T-shirt and sweatshirts over in Washington State. I've told you guys a story, uh, but just for measure, if you haven't heard it, Twenty years after uh, we uh, were living in Washington, I'll say fifteen to twenty years later, we were living there. Um, I was uh, still working at the base, and I went to Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, I'm in Dunkin' Donuts, just kind of standing around, and I look to the left, and I see one of our shirts from Washington on this girl sitting there. And I'm like, I don't care how weird this seems. I have permission because I was part of designing. I actually, I was the one that kind of said, hey, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because our um, our youth group was called Truth. Uh, so I was like, well, what do I want them to hear? The truth, right? And uh, so I walked right over and I'm like, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Are you from Washington? And she gives me this weirdest look. And she's like, yeah, we're 3,000 miles away. And I'm like, that was our youth group t-shirt. <laughs> and she's like, I think she found it at a thrift store or something. But I was like, 3,000 miles away, 15, 20 years later, and, and I just bump into her at a Dunkin' Donuts. You know, what are the chances? God doesn't, you know, there aren't no any coincidences, right? And I'm like, she's like, yeah, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, that's those are the words of Jesus. He's who has ears to hear, let him hear. And she's got this confused look. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, so I, by then my food was ready, and I was just like, well, you guys have a good day. I should have stayed and, and explained even further. I kicked myself. But I was like, you know, the words of Jesus. And, and she's just like, and she's having breakfast with her friend or whatever but that was a that was a cool thing very really long story but he who has ears to hear let him hear right jesus isn't saying everybody who's got these right i mean he'd want everybody to hear this but he knows that some people are going to reject it he who has ears to hear that parable of the sower and to understand that what that parable means that when the seed gets thrown out that it's not all going to fall on fertile ground. You know, some of it's going to uh, get stolen away. Uh, some of it's going to pop up really fast and then wither away with the sun. So Jesus was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, but, uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So when they're saying, we will hear you, Lord, right? It's a, to, to, to be an, a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So what that's doing is it's holding us accountable to the word of God. When we've heard it, then we're responsible for embracing it and doing what the word says. Excuse me. So James 1.22 says, For uh, uh, he will speak peace to his people. God desires uh, his peace in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, and, you know, he can speak uh, peace to us. That's that's who he is. That's what he, he desires for our lives, is for us to walk in peace and to live in peace uh, with him. Uh, oftentimes we make that difficult. 
Um, but if you if you consider um, I, uh, uh, in at the end of verse eight, it says uh, it says, "But let them not turn back to folly." So it starts by saying uh, the second half of verse eight says, "For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly, um, but turn back to foolishness." Right? Uh, Proverbs twenty six eleven. Uh, it says, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Um, you guys ever witnessed that? I don't mean to be gross. Um, but when I have to pull my dog away from its own vomit, like, like, dude, that's your own stomach acid and, and all that stuff. And I'm trying to hold him back. And sometimes I've been unsuccessful if I don't get quick, if I'm not quick enough. And I'm like, he's diving. It's gross, right? Consider that's it's as gross for us spiritually and it's as foolish as that for us to return to that uh, as we would like as a dog would return to its vomit. It's gross. Right. And the word says uh, that it's it's that gross for us to return to our own sin, to our own foolishness. You know, so uh, consider that where where it's uh, there's the um, the warning and don't do this uh, with our lives. Verse um, verse nine says, surely. Um, his uh, uh, so uh, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The glory uh, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Verse 10 is really powerful. Um, when you consider those truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give uh, what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and uh, shall make his footsteps our pathway. So salvation uh, is near. That's, uh, you know, when, when I see that, um, it reminds me of uh, the scripture telling us to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Uh, you know, that as we uh, we have come to the point where, because God, like we've talked about, we even sang tonight with uh, forever, right? Uh, it's us that departs from the Lord. It's not like, hey, we're walking with the Lord in strength. And God's like, hey, see you later, kid. Figure it all out, right? That's not how the Lord works. You know, God says, I'm here with you and I'm walking with you. And hey, we've got a great relationship here. And it's when our eyes get di distracted and our minds go to the left or right or our feet turn to that path on the left or right instead of staying uh, with him. That's where the problems uh, come in. <clears throat> and it says that your glory may dwell in the land. Verse 10 says mercy and truth have met together. That's quite a thing, because if we consider what truth is. And, uh, it, it, you know, when we consider the truth of God's word and uh, the power behind uh, the truth of God, uh, then we're going to come to a point where I need mercy. <laughs> like, wait a minute, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve God's mercy, but I'm going to ask him for it because without that mercy, I'm going to receive the penalty of my sin. And uh, when, when we see mercy and truth come together, that the truth is I'm a sinner and I need God's mercy uh, and uh, where we're not being given what we do deserve. Uh, that's quite a thing for the truth and mercy when those two things have met together. And if we look at the next uh, half of that verse, it says righteousness and peace have kissed. They have they have come together. Just a poetic way of, of, of saying it here. And only God can bring these things together. You know, when Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me, right? John 14, 6, right? 
that Jesus Christ claimed to be truth. He claimed to be truth. That truth is personified. That's, that's quite, if we want to know what truth is, look at the example of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he is truth. <clears throat> you know, we think of these things being brought together, righteousness and peace that they have kissed. Those things come together because they are the very attributes of, uh, of God's being. When you, when you consider these things, mercy, truth, righteousness, peace, that's the, we look at God. We see mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace. <clears throat> mercy and truth. They come together in Christ. If we stand in Christ, uh, we stand in truth and we experience his mercy. <clears throat> it's the same with <clears throat> righteousness and peace. What a beautiful union uh, to read and, and to consider. Righteousness. And peace. You know, when, when Paul would write and he'd say, Grace and peace to you, right? And you guys have probably heard this. It's probably pretty cliche, uh, at least within uh, the Calvary Chapel world, where we say, You know, you can't have the peace of God without the grace of God in our lives. Understanding that we, when we are given what we don't deserve, right? Mercy is not being given what we do deserve, grace is being given what we don't deserve, right? <clears throat> When we've experienced that grace, when we stand uh, in God's amazing grace, then we have the peace for our lives. When we stand in his righteousness because of the blood of Christ cleansing us of our sins, then we stand in, in Christ's righteousness and we experience peace. So there, it's quite a, uh, a study, even in just that verse. We could spend all day on that. We won't, I promise you, but we, we could spend all day just considering uh, what all of that means. You know, when you consider what God can do uh, to bring the restoration that they were praying for, and and how do these things uh, come about that the Lord would um, uh, would bring these things—mercy and truth, righteousness and peace—together. Uh, consider what happens when God reigns in our heart. Isaiah thirty-two seventeen says, "The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness." And assurance forever. I'm going to read that one more time. Isaiah 32, 17. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. You know, I, I want that from the Lord. <laughs> I want to experience that in my soul. I want to experience that in my life. And I want people to see that uh, that uh, happening in my life so that I can point to, if you want that peace, you want those things. I, uh, you know, when, when we've experienced, and it was even recently somebody coming up and saying, I want to give my life to Christ. I want what the rest of this church has. Then we can say, well, that, God wants to give you those things. Let's pray right now. And they give their life to Christ. There's nothing better, nothing better than leading a sinner uh, to the Lord and just letting them pray. Like, Pray and ask God to forgive him of your sin, to come in, make you a new creation in Christ. He'll give you his Holy Spirit to lead and guide you for the rest of your life. To hear that, right? We, we've, if we are, we're Christians, we've said that in our lives. But isn't it so awesome to watch somebody's life just being laid down and they say, I need you. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing. There's, there's nothing greater we'll experience than watching a sinner come to repentance. When the scriptures say the angels rejoice, and that all heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. That's right. So if it's the best thing there, it has to be the best thing here. <clears throat> Verse 13 is talking about uh, the Lord's footsteps being our pathway. Psalm 119, verse 105, a familiar verse to you, I'm sure. For your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isaiah 30, 
21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whether you turn to the left. When, when the Lord is speaking to us, telling us this is the way we're supposed to go. This is the way we're supposed to be following him. As we listen to his voice speaking to us, he's going to, to lead us. You know, consider the blessings of being restored by Christ. Walking in mercy and truth, standing uh, in the righteousness and experiencing the peace of God. I mean, that's, that's uh, a powerful thing for us to, to really consider as we uh, move uh, into Psalm 86. But just that, I want the mercy, I want the truth, I want the righteousness, and I want the peace of God uh, in my life. And that we can experience all those things because of uh, what Christ has done for us. Psalm 86. I'll have to be uh, less uh, shorter-winded as we go through this. So <clears throat> Psalm 86. Uh, prayer for mercy with meditation on the excellencies of the Lord. So this is uh, the only psalm of David in the third book of Psalms. And David, again, writing about facing strong enemies in uh, you know, these scenarios. We don't know exactly which occasion, uh, whether it was Saul uh, chasing him, and maybe it was from uh, uh, Absalom uh, and his army chasing whatever it was. Uh, you know, David is, uh, or the Philistines. I mean, David had enemies at different times all around the place, and and he was running for his life on some occasions. Um, and uh, you know, God uh, delivered him from all of those enemies. So we know that God answered this prayer. Um, but uh, uh, there's there's quite a bit say, said here. So uh, he even uses quotes from other psalms when he's uh, going through here. So some of these things may seem familiar and also may seem familiar from uh, Exodus 34, if you're familiar with that. So uh, it starts out with a prayer of David. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. So uh, common, we've seen David write this several times in the psalms. He's crying out to the one that can help him for his ear. Uh, to be uh, attentive to David's cry and for uh, God to be uh, helping him. Now, if we consider, uh, we even saw sometimes, how long will you slumber? It's not like God was asleep and like, oh, hey, I got to wake up here. You know, David's poking me here and I better wake up. And what they're asking for is God's uh, active attention to be placed and, and pointed toward their situation. Uh, verse 2 says, uh, preserve my life for I am holy uh, you are my God. Save your servant uh, who trusts in you. So when David says, for I am holy, he's not saying he's sinless and perfect. Um, that's not the case at all. We can look at David's life and go, right? <laughs> no way. You know, David, I know something about you, right? Uh, and, uh, and David knew that he was a sinner, but he knew that his relationship with the Lord, because of God's covenant, he wholly belongs to God and that he can um, uh, trust in the covenant that God made. Uh, with uh, with both him and uh, the Abrahamic covenant uh, that he can he can just trust in God and know hey I've confessed uh, my sin to you Lord and I know uh, that I stand in you so uh, and he then he declares save your servant who trusts uh, in you so David's proclaiming that his life um, is set apart to God that uh, we've talked about sanctification that his heart was sanctified. Uh, toward the Lord and uh, being set apart uh, when you consider the word sancti sanctification. And um, we've talked about, you know, the immediate sanctification upon salvation. And then there's the, the process of sanctification that the Lord, as we're living, is purging things out of our lives. And then that third phase of, 
of sanctification when we're in heaven and we're sanctified from the sinfulness uh, that was in our life and we're always uh, in the presence of the Lord, right? But David is talking about, hey, God, you have my whole heart and I walk with you and I love you. Verse 3, be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. So David is crying out for God's mercy. You know, if, if David was only crying out, uh, it just for, hey, God, you paying attention or whatever. But David is going to the Lord on the basis of the mercy that is available to him uh, because of his relationship with the Lord. And he's asking for God to show uh, his mercy. And, and that meditation on God's mercy is comforting. Um, and where, where we look at uh, verse four, it says, rejoice the soul of your servant. You know, after receiving his mercy, uh, then that will cause us uh, to rejoice and to lift up our souls, as he's saying here. So he says, rejoice the soul of your servant, uh, for to you, O Lord, I will lift up my soul. That mercy, when we've experienced that mercy, that will cause us to, and we understand what that means, that will cause us to rejoice um, inside our soul, and uh, and uh, that will uh, cause us to, uh, to thank him and, and rejoice. Verse 5. For you, Lord, are good. We could spend that all day talking about the goodness of God. Um, you, you know, when we consider how faithful he is, how much he loves us. But just that statement, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. You are good and ready to forgive. Um, you know, that uh, he, uh, when you consider, when Jesus said, he who asks, uh, receives, he who seeks, finds, he who knocks. And it will be open to you, right? It's those, you know, when we ask the Lord for these things, he's going to give them to us. You know, when when the Lord was, was, was explaining the love of God, he had to tell us, he's like, you being wicked, you being sinful men, when, when your son asks for something, you don't give him like a stone or a scorpion when he's asking for something, right? You wouldn't do that. So much more, your heavenly Father, and who is good, who is the one, he's not, he's going to give you what you're asking when you're asking for His mercy, when we're asking for His grace. So we can trust in those things. There isn't like the hey, you know, I I know I prayed the prayer and and I gave my heart to the Lord, but did He really listen? Did I say it right? Did I say the right words? Did I do the right thing? Am I saved now? Uh, there's a there's a lot of stuff that can be whispered by our enemy into our ear. Or being said by somebody, you know, when, when we consider, and you know, we've talked about this, even baptism, where you sprinkled, where you dunked, uh, we baptize in the name of, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or we name, baptize in the name of Jesus. And the, all these divisions that have come in the church, rather than saying, what was the, what was the status, uh, you know, what was the state of your heart when you cried out to the Lord? You know, for who are we to judge, right? We, we looked at that verse this morning from uh, 2 Samuel 16. Where God's saying, don't even bother looking on the outside. Man looks on the outside. God is concerned of what's happening inside the heart. That's what God is concerned with, right? So when we understand that God is good and ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all who call upon you, right? We've had the discussions, right? And I've told you, I don't, I don't, I'm not getting into the big debates on predestination and and uh, you know our Calvinism versus Arminianism. A lot of those people that are, are in those mindsets, they're not going to change their mind. Don't waste your time. 
But when you can look at the scriptures, right, we can look right at the scriptures and say, you know what? I can see right here that it says God is sovereign and that and that God does. He those who, who he knows he predestines. Right. And then you can look and it says for all that want to come to him. Right. So you can sit there and make the argument here, make the argument there. And it has divided the church for for hundreds of years. And, and, and you know, what good has it brought to it? Right. And, and we've talked about those things. But if we look here, it says in verse five, for you are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. It doesn't say to all those who have come to the end of their conclusions and, and they've come to this point where I'm a Calvinist or I'm an Arminian. I don't care. Right. Because I can look right at the word and go, I find myself right in the middle. I can understand what you're saying there. I, was, you understand, I don't know. God knows. But for me to make the claim like, well, you can't be saved, and, and but uh, but but God's chained to your will. I don't know. That's It's just one thing here. But when I read a verse like this, and abundant to mercy, and mercy to all those who call upon you. For anybody who's calling upon the Lord. Of course, Calvin is going to say, well, they wouldn't call upon the Lord unless he called. Like, okay, I, I get you guys get the jokes, right? What I'm saying here, I'm just pointing, I'm poking fun at both of them. Okay, and I know a lot of them can shred me in an argument. Great, I don't care. This is where I stand, right? I've seen your argument here, and it's here. I don't want to be part of the division, all right? I've gone way off from where I was going to uh, here. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. That assurance, knowing that we're calling upon God, that he will answer us. You know, give ear to my cry, O Lord. I'll give you, O Lord, to my prayer uh, and attend to the voice of my supplication. Please just hear me, Lord. Uh, it's not its not a command like, you know, God, you will hear me because you have to because I claim it, right? No, he's God. We're people, and, uh, and uh, we have to just pray to him and ask him. Uh, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you. That's wise, right? In the day of our trouble, I can tell you right now, in the day of my trouble, I'm not always the first thing I don't, uh, I, I'll just confess, I don't always go to the Lord, right? When I'm trying to work on something, and for me, the day of my trouble might be trying to do plumbing at my house, right? And I'm not figuring it out, and I'm getting mad. My wife's hearing me. I'm trying to, I don't understand why this thing goes. Uh, I should have just called the plumber, and like five minutes later, it's done. And when I've said, Lord, help me to stay calm, <laughs> and help me to relax, and focus on the task at hand. And then he just does, right? Or he tells me to call somebody else who knows, right? It's, it's one way or the other. You know, shows, you know, uh, that we may call upon him uh, for he will answer. Verse uh, verse 8, among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, <clears throat> nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come uh, and uh, worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. There's none like him. Um, I, uh, I don't mean to be... Um, this is a uh, this is tough to hear, but when you consider what uh, may or you may or may not have had, depending on what you've done for research regarding what's happening in Israel right now, when we were at the pastors, I mean the uh, men's conference a few weeks ago up at Calvary Orrington, Ken Graves, uh, this is a mature audience here, was speaking of Hamas dragging out two ladies that they had raped, and I think they I think the way it was described, they were both dead. Um, raped to death, beaten, and um, it's it's hard to say that. Um, but Ken was describing their bodies 
being bloody from being raped. So you can imagine what's happening in their minds. And what where their cry was, was Allahu Akbar, God is great. That was, that was, that's what they're saying. That's what they were, they were, they were saying into the cameras as they're dragging out these lifeless or, you know, clinging to life, these ladies that had been brutally, uh, brutalized for all night or what, however long it has been that their, that their pants themselves were all bloody. And then they're saying that is, is that the fruit of their God? That's awful. That's what they're going to claim is the greatness of their God. Ah, there's none like the Lord. There is none like him. You alone are God. God's works are mighty. They're gracious. They're merciful to loving. You know, we didn't read anything about any of that in these, these two Psalms that we're reading, and you'll never read about God telling people to do that to a woman. You alone are God. No one uh, besides him. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore. You know, he's asking for God's instruction. If we ask for God's instruction, he's going to give it to us. You know, what father or mother is going to look at their child and go, Mom, Dad, will you help me learn to tie my shoe, right? Are they, are they going to look and say, yeah, figure it out. You know, but when we understand, uh, you know, that we can go to the Lord and he's going to show us, right? There's the setting of our heart upon him. Uh, when there's the prayer here says, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear, fear your name. Setting our hearts upon God to walk in his truth. Um, you know, when you consider the truth, the truth isn't subjective to our own wills. We can't say, well, my truth and your truth. No, the, the truth is the truth. Like the, the, we can't say that something that is true, uh, well, it's not really true to me that, and, and take away the fact that something is true. Okay, if I sit here and I held up this, this is a cell phone, right? Somebody can look at me, well, to you it's a cell phone. Uh, to me that's not a cell phone. Like, no, the truth is this is a cellular communication device, as my niece calls it, right? This is a cell phone, right? And that, that is solid. I mean, that, that, that can't be uh, argued. Right. Uh, by anybody who knows what this thing is. Right. Because I can look and go, oh, it's a telephone because I can beep, beep, beep. And I could call my wife sitting right there. So it acts as a telephone. It also acts as a computer and calculator and all these things. But for somebody to tell me this is not the truth, that this is not a, a, a cell phone is as foolish as saying, well, uh, well, your truth and my truth, they can be different. No, when we're talking about God, there's one truth. And that truth personified is Jesus Christ. So we, we can't have, you know, my truth, your truth. Jesus Christ uh, is uh, the truth. Verse 11, unite my heart uh, to, to fear him. That's uh, asking God to, re to grab our heart and make it like his um, and to, to fear your name. Praise him with all your hearts. Um, that's, uh, that's quite a thing. I will praise you with all my heart. Uh, for us, there's the, the, the challenge there to praise him with all our hearts, not casually, um, <clears throat> but that he's our everything, that everything that we do that remember, what did, what did Jesus say? That the whole law can be summed up in love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That everything with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, when we have 
made uh, God uh, number one in our life and that we say, I'm going to love the Lord my God with all that I am and I'm going to love my neighbor with, with all that I am. That summarizes the whole of the law, right? Remember, uh, Exodus 20, um, uh, the, the Ten Commandments are given, right? And then we saw, what, three, uh, uh, three uh, chapters afterward. It's the application of that. What does that look like, right? So the guy that you hate, your enemy, right? You see uh, his donkey. His donkey's stuck. You don't just walk by. No, you stop and you help, right? What did Jesus say uh, about enemies, that we should love them, that we should pray for them? Because if we don't, we're doing just like the rest of the world. Like you hate those who hate you and you love those who love you. And Jesus said, what reward is there in that? Right? But it's the changing of our minds and our hearts that come when our heart is united uh, to the Lord. Where are we? Verse 13. Yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, for great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. You know, consider the, the low depths uh, that's, that are being speaking of, you know, the place of the dead. Um, uh, and uh, God delivers us even from them. The, the, the Sheol. We wouldn't, we wouldn't want to uh, be in, in a place of separation from God. Verse uh, 14. Oh God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and, uh, and have not set you before them. So we've seen David saying this before. It's another time where he's referencing God. I've got people all around, a mob. I watched a video. Um, it was this uh, um, lawyer explaining when is it proper for somebody, if you're surrounded by an angry mob and you're in your car, what is the proper thing, the lawful thing to do, right? Now, I don't know what your mind goes to, but if I've got an angry mob coming at my car, <laughs> he put his foot down, right? There's the, there's a, what am I going to do? And what this guy's saying is, is how do we get to this? And he's like, hey, every law, may, every state uh, and everything may be the same. And he breaks it all down, right? But when we consider an angry mob, and I'm not even going to get into it because I don't want somebody to say, hey, John Sear told me on you know, this day in October on a Bible study and everything. But what he's saying is, is that certain steps, it can become to the point where you can respond with, hey, you know what? I'm afraid for my life. Uh, you know, my say my windows are being busted out. Somebody says we're going to kill you or whatever, you know, whatever happened. Uh, then he's saying, well, then it would be justified and, and, and those things. So it was quite a thing to see here. Uh, but an angry mob of, uh, you know, a mob of violent men doesn't sound like something I want coming in my direction. Right. Uh, because instantly I'm going to go into self-preservation mode or family preservation mode, which is even worse. Right. Uh, because then it's anyways, I, I don't want to give examples. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. So what he makes this, this, this prayer, uh, and he says, God, uh, the, these people have come against me, uh, and they're after me, but then there's the meditation and the peace that comes from God where he says, but you, O God, are full of compassion and uh, and." Uh, yeah, are, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. So the, 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 the meditation of David's heart goes to God's compassion, his graciousness, his, his loving kindness, his patience, and that he's abundant in mercy and truth. That's what gives him peace uh, when he's dealing with all of these things. Verse 16, oh, <clears throat> turn, uh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant 
and save the son of your merds, uh, your merds, your maid servant, right? My my wife, my kids will sometimes call my wife Merm. Um, so uh, just as as a joke versus mom, and they'll mess with her and everything. But um, it's Sunday night, so my my uh, uh, words are are coming out different. But your maid servant. So he's asking uh, to give your strength because I have none. That's where David is saying here. Uh, he's saying, give your strength, your servant. Um, and why would we ask for strength? Because we don't have it, right? Uh, and then he's, he's honoring uh, even his, his mother, uh, as he says this, says this, the son of your maidservant. Um, and uh, so uh, in, uh, you know, he's honoring his mother there. Last verse, uh, show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You know, show me that you're here with me. Um, as something that will bring them to shame. You know, what, whatever it is, Lord, uh, can you can you just, uh, you know, sometimes we just need that reminder. You know, whether it's the, the God just speaking to us or uh, showing us, uh, oh, okay, yeah, he did take care of these situations, this part of the situation I needed. This was a helpless situation that I went to the Lord in, and then he showed me, hey, you got all wrapped around the axle, and all you just needed to do was pray and trust in me. Sometimes... Uh, that involves us doing something, right? Uh, so, you know, we're not called to be lazy either. We can't be like, oh, Lord, my lawn's getting long. Uh, you just ask somebody would come mow it. <laughs> God's like, you're healthy enough, right? Start her up, boy. You know, get out there and mow the lawn, right? Uh, you know, there are times where, uh, where we can apply ourselves more. But when we come to the point where I can't figure this out, Lord, uh, and I need you to show me the way of moving forward. And when I can understand what you're doing in those things, Lord, take care of this and show me that you're, you've taken control of the situation uh, and I can just rest in you. So some great, uh, great uh, reminders of God's faithfulness. Um, his, uh, he is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our prayers, um, that he's gracious. Uh, he's long-suffering. Uh, he's merciful. Uh, when we look at these attributes of God and we can meditate on them, because when our flesh or our enemy wants us to remind us of our past and those things, we can go, no, 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 no. I've gone to the Lord with those things, and he's removed that stuff. He's removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. They're remembered no more. I'm a new creation in Christ. I don't have to worry about those things. But when we're in those battles, just let us remember who God is and that we can go to him for anything. Amen? Amen. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we thank you, uh, Lord, that you have uh, just given it to us, preserved your word, that we might be built up, edified by it. We love you, we thank you, and we ask, God, that we will apply what we have uh, learned, that we would be hearers, uh, be doers and not hearers only, uh, but that we would hear and do what you have to say, that we would practice our faith, that we would trust in you. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.